This is The Big Idea Show. I'm Michael Anderson. Thank you for joining us. We've got a great program today. Clyde Reynolds, Executive Director from Turning Point Foundation. He is in studio. We're going to be talking about mental illness, various types of mental illness. You don't want to miss it. We have a great program. We hope to make the next 30 minutes a very good investment of your time. And today's show is brought to you by GEICO Local Office, car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. You could save up to 15%. Call Greg Mock of GEICO Local Office, 805-487-7847. And welcome to the program. We do have a wonderful program today. We're going to be talking about something that is often difficult to talk about. It is a spectrum of different types of mental illness, what is out there, how are you going to be alerted about it to know that what the symptoms are and how it's treated? And hopefully, through talking about this, peel back some of the labels or stigmatisms that go along with it. We do have Clyde Reynolds in studio. He was the executive director for Turning Point Foundation for 28 years. He's very well versed on the subject. He's worked for years in this space. Clyde, thank you for being here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Mike. Can you share with our listeners the different types that are out there? Of course, we think of the extremes, but often some of it's not so extreme. Mm -hmm. What is the spectrum with mental illness? Well, uh, there's a wide range of of what we call diagnoses or or types of of mental illness, but uh, you have them following in several areas. You have the kind of mood disorders, which deal with depression, manic depression. We call that uh, bipolar disorders those affecting one's actual mood. You have those that affect our people with such as anxiety. Anxiety is a big one. It covers a lot of people, a lot of different types of anxiety. Then you have the more psychosis types of diagnosis, which which have to do with the one that's probably most known is schizophrenia, where they're actually the thoughts are very distorted, reality is distorted. And then there's just a a range of, of various kinds of things that have to do with autism, borderline personalities, eating disorders, excessive compulsive disorders, post-traumatic stress we hear a lot because of the military. So there are a lot of different ways in which our mind is affected through our experiences and and through biology and through genetics. So there aren't any one particular cause for that, but we think of it really as an illness of the brain. Let's talk about that for a minute. You mentioned causes. And so sometimes the question comes up, well, what's the cause of mental illness? Is it something we're born with? Mm -hmm. Is it a circumstantial thing? You know, is it genetics? Is it stress? Is it a combination sometimes? Mm -hmm. What should we be looking for? Well, research suggests that multiple linking causes, genetics, environment, lifestyle influence, whether someone develops a mental illness or a condition, it can be a stressful job or home home life. It can be traumatic events that occur. In fact, a lot of mental illness and mental conditions are due to trauma in our lives. So with that is, I guess, I would assume that there's a recovery available. If it's come from trauma, there might be a way to assist with it. And, and in some cases, I guess that would be true. But in other cases... Maybe it's seemingly not true. I, how do you feel about that? Well, the good news is that about mental illness is that recovery is possible. Now, recovery doesn't mean that the symptoms go away. So some of these conditions are not curable, but people are able to cope with the illness. They're able to develop a recovery plan that governs their life. They take certain medications that control the symptoms, and they begin to, through uh, therapy and other forms of of support uh, are able to actually manage that condition. 
and that's what we call recovery. It doesn't mean it goes away necessarily, although in some cases it may be reduced to something that is no longer an impact, especially if they're taking particular medications like a person who has an anxiety disorder and they take a medication for that, that can control that anxiety. They're able to live their lives more complete and without that kind of stress. We're talking with Clyde Reynolds. He was the executive director for Turning Point Foundation for 28 years. We're going over various mental illnesses, the types of mental illnesses, symptoms, treatments, things of that nature. The first one I want to ask you about is anxiety disorders. Can you talk to us about anxiety? Anxiety disorders, believe it or not, are the most common uh, mental health concern in the United States. Uh, It affects almost 18% of the population. That's 40 million people. That type of disorder actually has several aspects to it. There's general anxiety, which produces chronic and exaggerated worrying about everyday life. There's social anxiety that causes fear about social interaction. There's panic disorders that are characterized by panic attacks and sudden feelings of terror. And then there are the phobias of certain places, events, and objects. Uh, All of those things create extreme stress, even body reactions. I mean, people get sweats and get very frightened. With that, let's talk about that for just a second. So like I I experience anxiety sometimes, like it may may be a big meeting that Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about and I'm stressed about Mm -hmm. what the outcome could be positive or negative Mm -hmm. or uh, or some other situation I see family members experience higher levels of anxiety at Mm -hmm. times. At what point should this be treated Mm -hmm. or is it normal or how do we try and put a filter on that? Well, actually, the reality is that everybody experiences anxiety sometimes, but when it becomes overwhelmingly and repeatedly impacts a person's life is when someone really should try to seek help and to try to find out if there's a way to lessen that anxiety. Uh, But you are correct. We all have that. Situations particularly create that for each of us. Yeah. On previous programs, we've had other folks Mm -hmm. talking about parenting teens and Mm -hmm. how teens nowadays, Mm -hmm. a risk and a stress for them with technology and peer pressure and other Mm -hmm. social media forms where there's more anxiety about this stuff than there ever has been. And there's other Mm -hmm. threats that sometimes parents don't even know about Mm -hmm. uh, that's going on with their kids. So it's it's emotional intelligence to knowing that and also Mm -hmm. being willing to seek some help. very, very interesting. Let's continue. There's another one here that talks about depression. Right. Uh, tell us about mm. depression. We all experience to some degree some sadness and, and some we're going through a rough period of time. And, uh, but it, it's really a, a serious mental health condition that requires uh, often treatment and medication. Some will only have one major episode in, in their lifetime. Others, it's a continual thing. And so a clinical depression is really something that occurs on an ongoing basis, it, it occurs off and on, it's repeated. Someone may have a major loss and get really depressed, and that's all that happens. They get over that, they grieve, and they never experience it again. But it's primarily those individuals who, who have this, it comes up, not because they're in a situation which one could say, well, that's why you're depressed. It just overwhelms them, and they, they feel that depression, they, they feel that loss of of energy about life. They just want to sleep. You know, they do things that kind of withdraw from... from now, there is some medicine mm. that will sometimes help for that, um, mm. but people have to be willing to take it. And sometimes, mm. you know, I know for whatever reason, mm. um, growing up, I remember there seemed to be a stigmatism sometimes mm. with seeking help and getting help. 
Well, actually, that's probably the biggest barrier for people getting help is that nobody wants to acknowledge that maybe they have a mental illness. Uh, the, the term mentally ill is something that you know everyone shuns. Uh, it also families, for instance, who have a, a child who has or a young adult who has mental illness, they'll keep that within themselves. They won't share that because somehow they feel it's a reflection on their being a bad parent. Uh, so, yes, there's a tremendous stigma around mental illness, and that's what keeps many people from even seeking help. I think it should be noted as well, a big reason for having this conversation <clears throat> today with Clyde. I've known Clyde for many mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. I Hopefully, through having a conversation about it and having more education around this, some of the I stigmatism ideas could diminish, and it could be more normalized mm -hmm. to understand that things are out there, right. and you just address them as they are and move forward. Right. And it doesn't have to be a big problem or stigmatism or something to you know, be ashamed of. Right. And of course, with depression, obviously one of the biggest threats there is suicide. And that's why it's important for people to talk about it. It's important for people to feel like they can share when they're feeling really down or when they're having those thoughts of taking their own life. It's, it's a very scary situation to, to live with, but it's important that as a society, we're able to acknowledge that this happens to people, that sometimes there are those overwhelming thoughts, and that if you're having that overwhelming thoughts, to talk to somebody about it. We're talking with Clyde Reynolds. He was the executive director for Turning Point Foundation for 28 years, going over just different types of mental illness among the spectrum mm -hmm. and treatments and other questions. There's one here, uh, schizophrenia. Mm. Talk to our listeners about this. Okay. This is one that, you know, often... We, especially with the problems we have with homelessness now in our, in our major cities and, and throughout the country, schizophrenia is one of the illnesses that often leads to many individuals on the streets being homeless. It's a very serious illness because it affects one's ability to actually sense reality. So the thought processes are exaggerated. People are hearing voices. They're being directed by voices. Some of them, they're seeing things or experiencing things that are not in our reality. The problem is, is that because we all rely on our brain for our sensing what reality is, if our brain is giving us the wrong messages, to them, that is reality. And so if they're not taking their medications, if they're not in treatment, if they're not getting support, often we see them on the streets untreated and very symptomatic. Is there an age where you see this to be more common? <clears throat> yeah. Well, the onset of schizophrenia is generally in late adolescence, rarely occurs late in life. So most families are you know, raising children. They may seem like their children are perfectly normal. They begin to experience certain symptoms that, you know, well, you think that's just, you know, it's just kids. They're being a little different. But uh, it occurs usually around late adolescence. I don't know if that has to do with as our hormones are kicking in and those are things that are happening in our bodies that it's it seems to set that off. But uh, yes, it occurs around that age. And some of it, I guess, the symptoms that you would mm. look for, cognitive issues mm. and things like mm. with thinking and whatnot, mm. how, how does that come about or what are you looking for? Several things. Uh, obviously, it causes people to lose touch with reality uh, in the form of hallucinations and delusions, uh, extremely disorganized thinking and behavior. There are several things the delusions described above also have certain negative symptoms that diminish, diminish their, their abilities. They include being emotionally flat, speaking and dull, disconnected, showing little interest in life. There's also the cognitive issues, the disorganized thinking, uh, which we talked about earlier. 
There's no cure for schizophrenia, but it can be treated and managed in several ways. When you talk about it in that way, I mean, I think of a lot of teenagers, actually, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. part of going through being, Mm -hmm. you know, a young teenager to an older teenager, there are periods of time, especially Mm -hmm. among boys, where Mm -hmm. you just, you don't get much emotion, you don't Mm -hmm. get much of a response, you don't get much of an answer. And some of that, Mm -hmm. you know, I I guess I'm imagining would be tricky Mm -hmm. to detect. Yeah, it is. You know, one of the things that I've found over the years of working with people, because Turning Point, we work a lot with the major illnesses like schizophrenia. It's a very frightening thing, first of all, for a young adult to start having these experiences and feelings. And I'm sure in the beginning, they try to hide them and, and don't want to acknowledge them. The real secret to me and those individuals and their recovery for mental illness is to finally understand and accept that this is actually happening to them that they are experiencing something that is an illness, rather than fighting it and trying to deny it uh, in those periods of lucidity to be able to reckon with the fact that, yes, I have this mental illness. Once you do that, you can begin to get help. In the meantime, obviously, people are often put in hospitals and they're medicated, and yet the individual hasn't really accepted that reality. But long-term treatment, I think, has to do with developing those kind of therapeutic relationships with caring people through agencies like Turning Point, where people are, feel safe to begin to explore that illness. The other thing we find that's extremely helpful is that we have a lot of what we call persons with lived experience who work as counselors, peer counselors, in these organizations like ours, and they're able to model what it is to have a recovery plan, to acknowledge their illness, to say, yeah, you know, when I'm feeling good, I need to keep taking my medication because if I don't take my medication, I'm not going to feel good and I'll be back in this same condition where I'm not able to recognize I need the help and I need to take it. So there's a lot of that modeling that takes place that is very helpful to individuals as they're adjusting to and beginning to develop their own recovery action plan for themselves, what they need to do to maintain their mental health, and how to recognize their symptoms and how to make sure they take their medications and do the things that make them feel more like living. Clyde, as a resource for people that want to gather more information about these mental illnesses and others, where can they go online to learn more about this? Well, a really good place for people is a a website operated by the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill. That particular website has information on all types of mental illness, They have information on treatment. They have a lot of information on uh, supporting the families, the families can do. And what's important about the National National Alliance for the Mentally Ill is that in every community, there are uh, chapters of the National Alliance for Mental Illness. And there are the families and their loved ones with mental illness who are there in the community to support one another. So... If anyone is concerned about a family member, look for that National Alliance for the Mentally Ill chapter in your community or nearby. Go online to to read the information that's there. There's tremendous resources and descriptions of all these illnesses we've been talking about. And the website there is nami.org. That's Mm nami.org. Let's continue, Clyde. The Borderline Personality Disorder is another one that I want to ask you about. Can you share with our listeners what is borderline personality disorder? Uh, This is probably one of the most difficult disorders uh, that I've experienced in trying to work with people with this disorder. It's characterized by difficulties in regulating emotions and 
uh, severe unstable mood swings, impulsivity, instability, poor self-image, stormy relationships. These individuals are really difficult to work with because they have this ability to not only have disruptive lives, but to disrupt other situations. So in relationships, it's almost impossible to develop a relationship with them because one minute, you know, I love you, everything's great. The next minute, I hate you. And for those individuals, it's got to be a horrendous thing to live with. And uh, we've often said, you know, if we have a person with a personality disorder in one of our programs, you know, the program can get very disrupted because there's what we call splitting. So they're, you know, this person, that person, what about, you know, and they're constantly churning up the environment. And so it's, it's a very difficult one to, to treat. The treatment includes, obviously, psychotherapy, and there are many forms of that, dialectic behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. A lot of work on just coping skills and helping people to recognize what's going on, have more insight into their, their situation. Uh, there aren't particularly medications to treat this either, which is a difficult thing, although sometimes anxiety medications and some of those can help. But it's a really difficult uh, situation for a person. And it's often caused by sustained trauma in one's life, uh, trying to cope, uh, trying to figure out. Are, uh, there, are there ways where if they know they, if they, know they have it, and they know that they may be, there may be onset to something taking action where they, they have mechanisms where they learn to now remove themselves or put themselves in a timeout. Or, or what are ways that they might learn to handle dealing with that? Or, well, I think it's the same approach we talked about earlier about recovery. It's, it's, number one, acknowledging that there is a problem, that this problem takes this form, and that their tendencies are to do these things and to recognize when they're doing it to be able to get other people to, who they trust to give them some feedback on their reality. And obviously, if there's some medications that can calm them in some ways. So it's, it's a difficult, difficult situation. Let's continue. There's ADHD, mm-hmm. and, and there's also autism. Can you mm-hmm. talk to us about these sure. two? Well, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. This one is a huge one for children. They say in the United States, about 9% of which is about 20 million children, are diagnosed with that. Uh, It does affect adults as well, and some of those are individuals who had that when they were children, obviously. Uh, And it's something that affects people at all different levels. It's difficult because obviously those individuals have a difficult time concentrating. They're constantly acting impulsively, hard to stay focused. And some of us have that to a certain degree. And it's not necessarily disabling, but for those where it's extremely disabling, where they're unable to do that. So it can, but with treatment, most people with that can be successful in school and work and lead a a productive life. But it includes medication, behavioral therapy, self-management, education. Certainly as children are growing up, uh, it can be a really difficult thing for them, for their families, the educational system to know how to, to direct them and, and support them. Yeah, I think a lot more people are aware of looking out for that mm-hmm. and trying to understand if you have that. And there's a number of people that are very successful with this mel- mental illness as yeah, well. Exactly. So there are structures where it's not, you know, it doesn't work as well in an environment where you're supposed to sit down, be quiet and listen right. all the time, right. like maybe school. Right. But in other environments where, you know, that's not as important, but other things are important, mm-hmm. it's a very positive thing to have that yeah. mental illness actually yeah, yeah. so let's talk about autism mm-hmm. autism um, is a developmental disorder it occurs you know in children it uh, 
It presents with restricted and repetitive patterns of behavior uh, and interests and activities. The symptoms of autism can also include impairments to social interaction and communication. Uh, the treatments there include education, development, specialized classes, skill training. But autism is, a, is, is really a difficult situation because that individual is really having struggling to have any kind of connection to others is very distracted and often many of their behaviors. Um, and it's something that um, I haven't dealt a lot with, but I know is, is for families can be extremely frustrating and disruptive in their family lives as well and require a lot of support and, and direction. We're talking with Clyde Reynolds. He is the former executive director for Turning Point Foundation. Um, we're talking about various mental illnesses. We also have on the list here eating disorders. Mm. Which, um, which I know is, is a thing. I've had friends that have had eating disorders. Talk to our listeners about eating disorders. Many of us know that, you know, there's the term anorexia nervosa. As people with that deny themselves food to the point of self-starvation, they have an obsession about losing weight. So they deny hunger, refuse to eat, practice binge eating, purging, that sort of thing. It can be very dangerous, and at some points, people can get into a medical condition where they literally die because the body just struggles to, to keep them alive when they're going through that situation. Bulimia is where people living with bulimia will feel out of control when binging on very large amounts of food during short periods of time then desperately try to rid themselves of the extra calories using vomiting, uh, laxatives, and excessive exercise. They are not, their, their physical life is not that much at risk as those with, with anorexia. And then there's just the binge eating disorders where people lose control over their eating and eat very large amounts of food in very short periods of time. Those are problems when they're compulsive, when they're continuous, uh, you know, we might have a great meal and just really over binge eat, but we'll do that once and, you know, that won't happen for a long time again. But, but it's for people who have these patterns that are going on consistently, you can often, often recognize a person with anorexia because, you know, they begin to look so thin. And Carpenter's, uh, Karen Carpenter, I think she mm. died from anorexia. Yeah. Mm. I, I did have a friend actually pass mm -hmm. from it as well. Okay, well, I know there's a number more, but we only have time for um, for this one, and then we'll we'll sure. for anyone dealing with this, we should definitely direct you to nami.org. That's n-a-m-i.org for more information. But post-traumatic stress yeah. disorder, mm -hmm. I know, is a big one, and of course, we think about people in the service, but we also think about in Southern California, we had these uh, fires, and mm -hmm. a lot of people are going through post traumatic stress disorder from the fires and other other events that were extremely stressful. Talk to us about post-traumatic stress disorder. You're right. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder is the result of traumatic events. Uh, it's a sustained traumatic event. It can be a, a one-time major traumatic event. So um, what happens is that the individuals who experience that have they begin to re-experience their, their symptoms, uh, such as reoccurring involuntary intrusive distressing memories, which flashbacks, that sort of thing. They experience wanting to avoid uh, certain places and situations because of that. They have cognitive and mood symptoms, so they sometimes begin to have trouble recalling events and negative thoughts. They have arousal symptoms such as hypervigilance, become intensely startled by stimuli. Uh, so it's one of those things that 
Yeah, if you can think about, and I, war is a good example of that, and uh, the kind of wars we've been in now where, let's say you're in Afghanistan, and the enemy is not recognizable. And so for every day that you're out there, you're having to be aware, 20, uh, 360, looking all around you, constantly you know, fearful of something going to happen and not knowing when it's going to happen. And you do that day after day after day after day. That creates, you know, stimulates your brain. It, it creates all this adrenaline. Uh, and you're doing that day after day. Well, let's say you get back out of the service and now you're home. You're used to that adrenaline, but you're trying to live a normal life. Uh, that adjustment can be horrible because we have people who all of a sudden jump on a motorcycle and they're going on the highway at you know 130 miles an hour. You know, they're just trying to, to deal with that adrenaline that's in their system. So it's a very difficult situation. And I, we've just recently had opened a home for homeless veterans. And one of the things you have to pay attention to is creating in that home a situation where there's calmness, the colors are there that are calming. You want to have some good insulation because, you know, a car backfiring on the street can cause somebody to dive under a bed. Uh, you just never know that. So it's, I think it's that sustained trauma that goes on that, that really in the brain and in the body creates all these chemicals going on that, that overcome the body. So yeah, it's a very difficult situation. And we know now that a lot of the mental illness that people are dealing with is due to some trauma in their life, whether it's physical, sexual abuse, whether it's a national disasters, war. And this is you know one of those diseases that, you know, is clearly situationally caused. We're talking with Clyde Reynolds. He's our feature interview for today's program, executive director from Turning Point Foundation for 28 years. And you can go to NAMI.org for more information to learn more about mental illness. We do hope that learning more will help reduce the stigmatism and normalize these to talk about them. Uh, Clyde, thank you for being on the program today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for listening to today's program. It is brought to you by Era Energy, powered by safety, innovation, and community. We help keep California moving forward. We hope you enjoyed today's program. Thank you for listening in. And please do follow us on Facebook and also go to the iTunes podcast. You can find us there. Search for The Big Idea. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.